0: So thank you all for joining me. Uh, as Douglas said, my name is Reem Ibrahim. I work in communications at the Institute of Economic Affairs. We were founded back in uh, 1955, so um, sort of quite a, a quite, quite a long journey for a free market think tank. And I think, you know, most of the time when you hear about um, the free market, when you hear about capitalism, these kind of terms that are, you know, pretty highly politicized people talk about the way in which um, the consequences of capitalism are fantastic. We've seen millions of people across the world uh, be lifted out of poverty. We've seen um, the fact that we've got all this technology, the fact that I get to have an iPhone and that effectively with technology, it's been equalized. You know people across the world are able to access the internet and all of these things are fantastic and genuinely are great arguments for the free market but I think that what isn't really talked about enough is the moral argument for capitalism the moral argument for free markets and that's what I would like to talk to you all about today so Anybody that's been on the internet, and I'm assuming that all of you lovely people have been on the internet and on social media, you will hear a- about a lot of the different types of arguments against capitalism. So the common criticisms of capitalism tend to be that we see exploitation. So this is a quote, the proletarians have nothing to lose but their chains. Does anybody know where this quote might come from? Does anybody have an have an idea? You can just shout it out if you do. That mark Marx or angles. Yes, it was Karl Marx, yes. So Karl Marx said that proletarians have nothing to lose but their chains. The second main argument or main criticism against capitalism is that it causes selfishness, that the bourgeoisie has pitilessly torn asunder the motory of ties that bound man to his natural superiors and left remaining no other nexus between man and man than naked self-interest, that callous cash payment. Oh, it's so evil. And the third main argument that we see against capitalism is instability. This is the idea that it appears then that capitalist production comprises conditions independent of good or bad will. So effectively, that capitalism breeds all of these awful things that people are exploited, that individuals end up being incredibly selfish and that we see instability. Now I could argue against many of these, uh, many of these criticisms. You know, for many many hours, and I think that many of us that work in think tanks are doing this all the time. But we see the, these three arguments permeate online spaces consistently. So the capitalism that causes co- capitalism causes exploitation argument. So I think this is probably one of the most of all under- misunderstandings that I encounter regarding markets. And it's the idea that you know, absent market capitalism would create greater shared wealth within society. And it continues to permeate the thinking of a great deal of people, especially young people. But despite the mounting evidence that as markets are used by more and more countries that global poverty is steadily decreasing that all developed countries in the world are effectively market-based economies. And more importantly, the evidence is clear that this decline in poverty has happened as a result of the embracing of free market capitalism. If you look at countries like China or India, where they've been able to open up to more free trade and they've been able to see poverty alleviate. And as other countries see the success of these two previously very poor countries, India and China, and begin following their lead, we also expect to see poverty in the rest of the developing world significantly decline. Now, in The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. Has anybody heard of Adam Smith? Hands up if you have heard of Adam Smith. Oh, wonderful. Amazing. So Adam Smith explained how markets by continuously expanding the range of goods and services to an ever increasing number of people would produce what he called universal opulence. And I think it's it's not surprising that these ideas kind of filter down as a result of this idea that socialism leads to greater prosperity for the masses. But as I said, all developed countries have market based economies. And any attempt to estimate the total number of you know killings and murder and effects of starvation as a result of communist regimes um it, you know depends greatly on sort of the expansion of definitions sometimes it ranges from about like 10 to 20 million to as high as 110 million so when we're thinking about the 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 real consequences the real life consequences of um those kind of incredibly authoritarian regimes the evidence is all there this idea that capitalism causes people to be selfish, the second argument. Now, there's an economic historian um, over on your side of the pond called Deidre McCloskey, who noted that at all times, people have attempted to amass capital, which is you know, broadly defined to be land, resources and money. But those collective attempts haven't led to society-wide economic growth that we've seen since the 1800s and the economic growth that we've seen the is the, I mean, the underlying foundation of that is human freedom capitalism is about individual human freedom and this third argument instability that most you know i think it's, it's important to, to note that most of the instability that we've seen over the law over the course of the past few years has been as a result of government intervention it's not the fault of the free market It's not the fault of uh, market distortions. Well, sorry, it is a fault of market distortions as a result of governments. thinking about 2008 as a result of uh, government intervention. But you'll have lots and lots of people from across the freedom movement making these same arguments, but nobody really makes the argument, or not enough people, sorry, make the argument for the moral case for capitalism. So I can argue against these two things and I can say okay well no capitalism causes free it allows people to be free it allows us to trade but actually why is that moral? Why is that good? A lot of people will say capitalism is the lesser of two evils. it's the it's the less bad version of socialism. socialism is great but it just doesn't work in practice so we have to go with capitalism. I, I want to argue to you guys that that isn't the case at all that capitalism is a moral system now has anyone here ever been in love hands up if you love anything it could be a person it could be a it could be a phone it could be a product anything who here is in love with something or a person hands up i am <laughs> amazing <Mississippi. laughs> we love mississippi <laughs> so i would argue that you know love is pretty crazy <laughs> love drives us to do pretty crazy things. You know, you might stay up until 4am in order to speak to somebody and foster a relationship with them. It drives us to do things that we wouldn't usually consider to be like normal behavior for us. Now, I would like to make the case that, oh, okay. I was gonna talk about the way in which um, love is depicted in literature. So as a Brit, I have to bring up Shakespeare, because I think Shakespeare is one of the um, most intelligent people that have ever walked this planet. And one of my favourite Shakespeare plays is Twelfth Night. Duke Orsino uh, very famously says, if music be the food of love, play on. And I think this kind of lovesick emotion, this kind of uh, depiction of love as being this hugely all-encompassing feeling is one that has been depicted across different movies, across different uh, types of literature. Love is what drives many, many people, I, I would say all people. And I think that it's important to when thinking about the human condition itself. And I would argue that love is the driving force behind entrepreneurship. So to be an entrepreneur, you have to be absolutely barking mad, in my opinion. (laughs) You have to love what you do. You know, if if it was just about making money, you wouldn't be an entrepreneur because almost everyone fails. And this is data from the US uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics. And the the BLS show that approximately 20% of new businesses fail during the first two years. 45% of businesses fail during the first five years, 65% during the first 10 years. Only 25% of new businesses actually make it to 15 years or more. So if you want to make lots of money, setting up a business, being an entrepreneur is not the way to do it immediately. But it's the love of an idea, the love of an idea of something that doesn't yet exist, that you might be able to create that allows the world to become a better place. And it's something, again, you might stay up until four or five in the morning thinking about. You can't stop thinking about it. You can't sleep without thinking about it. And it's about participating in the greater advancement of the world. And all of a sudden, you are consumed by this idea, much like love. You're willing to make massive sacrifices. Your time, your money, your reputation, to create something that you love, something new that you love. Now, entrepreneurs have been depicted across, uh, have have been have existed across uh, uh, across human society, across human history. Uh, John Dujour is one of my faves because he makes the best hair care products, in my opinion. Um, the Paul Mitchell hair care. But early in his life, he wasn't characterized by riches. He sort of has the classic rags to riches story. He was fired from um, you know most of his jobs as a hairdresser. He worked for Redken uh, Laboratories, and then in, but in 1980, he formed Paul Mitchell Systems with hairdresser with the hairdresser Paul Mitchell, with just a loan of seven hundred dollars, and he's now worth three point one billion dollars. So. When he was talking about the way in which he's been able to, you know, develop into it, being an incredibly successful person, he said that the biggest hurdle is rejection. But that when ten doors are slammed in your face, you've got to go to door number eleven enthusiastically with a smile on your face. Now I think that sounds like some pretty wise words. We've also got Howard Schultz. Howard is the Starbucks founder, and I love Starbucks. I love the caramelized latte. Although I found that in the US, you guys have um, lower sugar regulations, or I think it's to do with our sugar tax, but you guys are allowed to have way more sugar in your starbucks than we do so i like american starbucks more than british starbucks um, but you he when he founded starbucks he had almost no money he um was the first person in his family to go to college it was whilst he was working for the coffee company that he came in contact with the starbucks brand and then he was able to develop it so he's now worth an excess of over 2.9 billion dollars And he built up this entire empire, all dreamt up over an afternoon having coffee. And he said once that a lot of what we ascribe in in life is not luck at all. It's about seizing the day and accepting responsibility for your future. It's seeing what other people don't see and pursuing that vision. Now, I think that encompasses the spirit of the entrepreneur. And of course, we've got the classic story of Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. They started Apple computers in a garage in, in California. You know, they pair, they, pu- they pulled out from their sort of, respective college courses and began developing consumer computer devices in Jobs' parents' garage um, over in California. But before that, Steve worked as an you know, assortment of low paid jobs, including. Um, you know, one was 13 for, for Hewlett Packard. And then after developing a couple of different models with Wozniak, they knew that they would need more financing. They did it, they, have, you know, the story is, I mean, the rest is history, right? we I've got an iPhone, I'm using an Apple Mac computer right now. Um, and they have been, I think one of the most, or if not the most successful um, examples of, you know, rags to riches, successful entrepreneurs. And he said, you know, his legacy is it's it's our pockets and it's on our screens in the cinema, it's all around us. And he said that we should always persevere when times get tough. Quote unquote," he said, uh, sometimes life is going to hit you on the head with a brick, don't lose faith, <laughs> which I love. Now, I think it's important to note that, you know, there are of course many, many examples of entrepreneurs that have done fantastic things, but in a free market economy, you are rewarded for creating something that other people want. So as an entrepreneur, you not only love something, you not only want to pursue something, but you have the creative freedom to pursue that thing. It is in our self-interest to cooperate with one another. That's something that Adam Smith argued for. And in a market economy for an entrepreneur to be successful, they must provide something that other people will also want. And I believe that love is that driving force behind entrepreneurship. Most new businesses will fail, and yet love and hope is what drives people to become entrepreneurs. They love the idea of something that doesn't yet exist and in a free market economic system, there has to be something that other people want. They can't just create something and, and just keep it for themselves. In order to expand a business, you have to have consumers. And so it has to be something that other people will want as well. And you're rewarded for that, and I think that's the that's the primary uh, important thing to note here. Now, who here has heard of Israel Kirzner? Anyone heard of Israel Kirzner? He is, I think, one of the most incredible um, Austrian economists. But he just he's sort of spoke about the way in which advancement works, and he said that human action is discovery. An act of discovery in which resources are deployed to achieve an objective represents the realization that before the discovery, the relevant resources had been undervalued. So the full potential of these resources had not been up to now understood. And so the act of discovery and indeed, the act of every human action represents the discovery of hitherto unsuspected value in hitherto undervalued resources. So the entrepreneur sees that these resources has up until now been undervalued and decides, OK, I'm going to create something that other people will want, that people have not yet seen, that is not yet on the market. And they're able to then create those things and innovate and they have the freedom to do that. um lots of people well many people don't like Ayn Rand I do quite like Ayn Rand and I think that she's probably one of the most misunderstood philosophers Ayn Rand is huge in America I think in the was it the 30s or the 40s it was um the best-selling most best-selling best-sold novel in the U.S. after the bible which is I think um particularly interesting so in one of her novels I, I believe it was um Uh, So he's also looking at Howard Rourke, who was an architect, and he was unwilling to sort of think the way of company men. So Ayn Rand wrote in sort of fiction and she wrote stories and she depicted her philosophy through those stories. And he said that the basic need of a creator is independence. The reasoning mind cannot work under any form of compulsion. It cannot be curbed, sacrificed, or subordinated to any consideration whatsoever. It demands total independence in function and in motive." Now, (coughs) excuse me, what I think is interesting about um, Howard Rourke is he's kind of a quintessential entrepreneur. He's kind of that character. And in one of the most poignant scenes, Howard Rourke reflects, you know, with sort of compassion and empathy on the plight of his friend, Um, who was a sculptor uh, called Stephen Mallory. And he suffered because he can't do the work that he wants to do. So he's not allowed to get the thing, this sort of love, this drive, this hope inside of him out to the world. And it kind of causes an ache or or a yearning, um, a yearning for this thing to come into existence. And this is exactly why I think the free market is the most superior economic system it's not because it's uh, or not necessarily because of all the fantastic things that come out of it although that is also true and uh, capitalism isn't moral because it causes better outcomes because we see millions of people um lifted out of poverty but that is an argument that adds to it but it has nothing to do with the morality the philosophical morality of the free market capitalism is moral because it's encompassed by the voluntary exchange of goods and services it's voluntary no one is coerced it's an exchange of value for value no one is being forced to do anything no one has been coerced to do anything they don't wish to every individual is free to pursue their happiness They're they're completely free to pursue love. And I think that's really the the most important point that I'd like to to drive home here today, that voluntary exchange is a transaction where goods or services are being traded freely. There is no coercive or restrictive force that goes into that transaction. Both parties want to make the exchange and both parties will benefit from the trade. So voluntary exchange is the basis of a free market economy. So when I say capitalism, now capitalism, does anybody know where the term capitalism comes from or who coined it? Does anyone know? Same answer as before, it's Karl Marx. (laughs) Karl Marx coined the term capitalism and it's a very politically charged term, but what I really mean is a free market economy, an economy in which individuals are free to pursue their individual happiness, but then also free to pursue their entrepreneurial endeavors. But unfortunately not everyone agrees and the we've got to think we've got to also define what the other side would call socialism so this is the oxford english dictionary definition and it's that a political it's an, a political and economic theory of social organization that advocates that the means of production distribution and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community as a whole So when when they say community as a whole, they usually mean, um, you know, full socialism, it usually means some kind of governmental structure. It usually means the state owning the, 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 the means of production, the state being made up of the proletariat itself. And I think it's important to note that that's normally what they mean by the community as a whole. But this kind of coercion causes a loss of love, you know, I can talk about, you know, in the Soviet Union where we saw subsistence farming, forms of farming in which nearly all the crops or livestock raised that were used to maintain the farmers and and the sort of farmers' families, and then leaving very little, of any, surplus for trade. That kind of, you know, pre-industrial agricultural um, uh, sort of meth- methodology, and it's that people that people across the world have been using uh, that kind of methodology. And the free market allowed them to uh, expand that and and, and actually uh, create more of those kind of products, and then trade freely. And then obviously we saw we I think we called them the kulaks in in the Soviet uh, in the pre-Soviet Union. Um, And collectivization dramatically reduced the fall, uh, uh, dramatically reduced the agricultural productivity uh, in in the Soviet Union. And it effectively meant that there was an unprecedented famine which costed about 6 million lives. Now the, the, the fallen output in turn undermined any kind of attempts to import the necessary industrial capital. The so GDP stagnated and the first five year plans were not fulfilled. But I think it's just going back to this point about the morality and, and of course about the way entrepreneurs operate. Farmers went back to subsistence farming because they, A, they weren't rewarded for, uh, economically they weren't rewarded for producing anything more than, than the state required of them to produce. But also, they would often be killed if they were found to be producing more than that, because they were they were seen as being sort of petty bourgeoisie and, and the, the evil capitalists. And we've got to remember that when people now will make the arguments for socialism and make the arguments that it causes self-interest or whatever it is, or that it's, it causes instability, that if they if what they're arguing for, if the alternative that they're arguing for is socialism, that this is what they mean. This is the reality of that. But going back to this moral point this moral point i think is incredibly important because you've got to be able to also make the the positive moral case for freedom for free markets for for voluntary exchange now i don't know if this will work um but ipencil was um a concept created by a, a guy called leonard reed but milton friedman kind of popularized it i'm hoping the sound is going to work let's see can you guys hear that
1: perfect The basic principles underlying the free market, as Adam Smith taught them to his students in this university, are really very simple. Look at this lead pencil. There's not a single person in the world who could make this pencil. Remarkable statement? Not at all. The wood from which it's made, for all I know, comes from a tree that was cut down in the state of Washington. To cut down that tree, it took a saw, To make the saw, it took steel. To make the steel, it took iron ore. This black center, we call it lead, but it's really graphite, compressed graphite. I'm not sure where it comes from, but I think it comes from some mines in South America. This red top up here, the eraser, bit of rubber, probably comes from Malaya, where the rubber tree isn't even native. It was imported from South America by some businessmen with the help of the British government. This brass ferrule, I haven't the slightest idea where it came from, or the yellow paint, or the paint that made the black lines, or the glue that holds it together. Literally thousands of people cooperated to make this pencil. People who don't speak the same language, who practice different religions, who might hate one another if they ever met, when you go down to the store and buy this pencil, you are in effect trading a few minutes of your time for a few seconds of the time of all those thousands of people, what brought them together and induced them to cooperate to make this pencil. There was no commissar sending out offices from sending out orders from some central office. It was the magic of the price system, the impersonal operation of prices that brought them together and got them to cooperate to make this pencil so that you could have it for a trifling sum. That is why the operation of the free market is so essential, not only to promote productive efficiency, but even more to foster harmony and peace among the peoples of the world.
0: Amazing. So that's kind of a, a summary of Landry's Eye pencil. I would really recommend uh, anyone reading it if if they could. Uh, I think there's PDFs available online uh, that were published by uh, some American think tanks. I think. Um, but I think this kind of depicts the sort of the, the reality of that of what that free trade looks like. It's you know. Thousands, millions of individuals across the world coming together to create something, and many of them will speak different languages, or, or you know, they'll never meet. But what compels them? to create these things is not a centrally planned uh, a commissar. It's not somebody uh, sitting there in Westminster or sitting over there in, in the, the state of Mississippi telling everyone uh, what they have to do. But instead it's, it's, it's the complete com- it's a complete freedom and, and individual liberty that allows those individuals and compels them to operate within that. And that's what we call uh, the division of labor, which I'm sure is a, is a concept you'll come across again. But unfortunately, we are losing the intellectual battle amongst young people. Now, anyone here who has been on social media or spent a second on Twitter knows that there are many, many people that don't agree with what I'm saying that will say that actually uh, this isn't the case. And this is polling data that was um, done by LEGA, but it was commissioned by the Fraser Institute and it found that support for socialism as the ideal economic system is strongest amongst 18 to 34 year olds, regardless of country. So the total agreement that socialism is the ideal economic system amongst this younger age range range from 43% in the US to 53% in the United Kingdom, so clearly Douglas and, and his think tank are doing a much better job than we are over here in the UK, because we have the majority of 18 to 34 year olds that believe that socialism is the ideal economic system. And I think it's tragic. And I think it's 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 pertinent that all of us in that age range and above that age range, advocate for these ideas and, and really do understand them properly. Because when we're thinking about the alternative, this alternative socialism, I think it's important to you know, define what that means. And, and, I, and I hope I've done that for you today, but also just to recognize you know, what these kind of definitions mean and what the reality of that really is. And that's why I think it's so important that we make the moral case for free markets. We make the moral case for capitalism. Capitalism is freedom. It's about human freedom. And it's about... Effectively, consent. It's it's voluntary. It's individuals consent consenting to exchanging their goods and services, and I think it's 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 about exchanging value for value. No one is compelling you. No government is compelling you. It's completely up to you as an individual what you do with with your time and with your life. But unfortunately, again, we're losing the argument. And anyone that's been on TikTok, hands up if you're on TikTok. Oh, we've not got any, t- have we got any TikTokers? Oh, we do, we do. Okay, I am a sh- not ashamed to say I spend a lot of time on TikTok <laughs> and I scroll on TikTok um, every day. Yes, every day, more hours than I would like to admit. Um, but I think it's it's interesting the way the algorithms work. Of course, as we know, there is obviously the influence with the Chinese Communist Party But there is also this algorithm that churns out pro-communist. Now, I'm not just talking social democracy. I'm not just talking, hey, we want universal healthcare. I'm talking people that genuinely advocate for Soviet-style total communism, and they get thousands and often millions of likes and, and reposts on social media. And I'm sure that many of you guys have seen this kind of content online as well. And that's why it's so important that we think for ourselves and that we allow ourselves to think about what these arguments really do entail. And I would like to finish by trying to tell all of you to join this fight for freedom. And I, I, you know, there will, many of you might end up becoming policymakers but many of you will be potentially doctors or lawyers or, or teachers or, you know, whatever it is. But we need people that understand these arguments and understand the way in which to to think freely for themselves, but also understand the, the the real moral imperative that they have to advocate for free markets and for freedom. And we need people that understand that in hospitals. We need that. We need those people in schools. We need them practicing law. We don't just need free market liberal um, uh, policymakers makers or, or think tankers, um, although I, I do like my job, I we, do, we don't need just need people like me or, or people like Douglas but we need people uh, across society that understand these arguments and that's why I, it's so fantastic that you're all here today um, to, to, to listen to these kind of ideas and hopefully think for yourselves and make up your own mind about them and I, I hope that you all do. Um, I am I am going to have to shoot off in very very soon but I think I do have time for maybe one or two questions or maybe we can open this up to a conversation but thank you all very very much for listening